Well, hi, everybody. And now we are into the last chapter of this marvelous book of Revelation. Would you pray with me, please? Father, again, we thank you. Oh, can't say it enough. But we thank you for the hope of an, our new home and how you will welcome us into it if we have followed the terms that you've set up. Father, you didn't make it, you didn't make it difficult to understand. You made it difficult in the way that we have to deny ourselves. And we have to see ourselves the way we really are. But Lord, after you've shown us from chapter 21 what we will inherit, it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, all trials will seem so small when we see Christ, one glimpse of his dear face. All sorrow will erase. So let's bravely run this race till we see Christ. In his name we pray, amen. I really like that song because I often wondered how come Revelation didn't end with chapter 21 because, because it showed us our new home. And it, again, it did, it did show us that if our name isn't in the book, we aren't getting in. But basically, it said it all, I thought. But yet, there is one more chapter. So what is Revelation 22 all about? But I just can't help but ask you, weren't you a little excited last week? Didn't you just sit there and try to picture those, those 12 walls or those 12 gates those 12 foundations? Did you, did you sit there and think about those jewels, how every foundation was a different jewel? And how there will be no need for a temple because God is the temple. We won't need sun, moon, and stars or lamps because he is the light. that will be a part of that new heaven and new earth and the gates will never be shut. And yet each gate is made out of a pearl to remind us of why and how we're there. To think there's going to be no more suffering, no more crying, no more disappointments, no more goodbyes. And that our focus, and I know this is hard for us because we think, oh, but I, I want to be with this person and I, and I want to be able to do this and that. Do you know that that's all our human nature talking? Because once we get there, it's going to be so much more. Our focus will be Jesus I do believe we'll have things to do. I, I do think that we're going to see this in Revelation 22. It's like we're going to be a part of the way it was intended when he created it. It's kind of like going back to Genesis 1 and 2. So why is chapter 22 in here? 
because the temptation to just sit and to wait for that day, to be able to just sit and, and kind of do nothing because we're anticipating. We are told to be watching and being ready, but being watching and ready does not mean do nothing. In fact, I think that's why there's a Revelation 22. It's kind of like when I used to sing a lot, I used to sing a song, and you all know, I'm sure, what a day that will be when Jesus we will see, we will look upon his face, the one who saved us by his grace, and he'll take us by the hand and lead us through that promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. But when I would get done singing that song, I would move right into, and I think this is what it helps us identify why we need a chapter 22. Because when you sing, what a day that will be, you forget that we're not there yet. And so I would always go into the song after, after what a day I would go into. But until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, I'll carry on. Until the day my eyes behold that city. Until the day God calls me home. So, in a nutshell, we've got work to do. We are to be watching and ready, like I said, but we have work to do. But John writes the start of chapter 22, and again, he says, I want you to picture this. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal. Yeah, the angel showed me the river of the water of life. See, there's that word water again. It's clear as crystal. Flowing, look at this. Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of that great street. Remember, it's made out of pure gold. So that river that is coming from the throne of God ushering forth that water of life, clear as crystal, down the middle of that great street. That's quite a thought, isn't it? But if you go, if you go back to Genesis 2, you can't help but see that there was a river there too. And then I thought to myself, no wonder that old hymn writer wrote, when peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And then on each side of the river, stood the tree of life. Now, you remember where you heard that before. 
I went back again to Genesis 2. And in that chapter, we read that in the middle of the garden, there were two trees. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And right from the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve a choice. He told them that they could eat from any tree. The only tree they could not eat from was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, you know what happened. But I guess what I'm trying to show you, because I was taken back kind of by it, was that it's like these verses here were transporting me back to the beginning. And I, can't, I guess that's what makes me think that our new home is going to be like the Garden of Eden. Because when sin came into the world, they were ushered out immediately. They were kicked out of that garden. Because God didn't want them to be eating from that tree of life. Because if they ate from that tree of life after sin came into the world, and until Jesus then came to buy them back, to redeem them by his blood, if they ate from the tree of life, they would be living in that forevermore. There'd be no hope. See, right from the start, even despite Genesis 3, God instigated a plan to buy us back. If that isn't grace, I don't know what is. So here, in our new home, on each side of this river stood the tree of life. There's, there's no tree of the knowledge of good and evil anymore. I think that tree ended up in hell just like the devil himself. But the tree of life was on both sides of the river, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Now, I know another old hymn that says, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And, and we're, under, we're under the idea that there will be no more time to control us. But yet there's got to be some kind of time here because he says, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Well, why do the nations have to be healed when we just heard that it's perfect and there's no more suffering? So that means there's no more disease. And yet it says right there that these leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. You know what the tree of life? See, every one of us had to, had to eat from that tree of life, which is Jesus. And I, and I, I personally think, and could it be that, that this tree is bringing us all together? 
the healing that nations once were apart, they, they fought against each other. That now this tree of life, because we've all had to eat from it, it put us all together. No longer will there be, there won't be any curse. And again, I couldn't help but go back to Genesis 3 after the fall how the curses came down on Adam and Eve and Satan himself. And remember the curse that was on Satan. How, how pretty much that it will look like he wins. But his head will be crushed. This is what we've experienced from the Gospel of John and now the Revelation, Satan's head was crushed when Jesus came out of that grave. But his ultimate crushing is when Jesus just picked him up and threw him into hell. So no longer will there be any curses. Because when you read that chapter, you will see that Adam had a curse Eve had a curse. Bearing the consequences, bearing the very consequences of sin, then there's, there's their curse. And he is reminding us here that there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants, that's us, will serve him. Remember we talked about the four living creatures? They had all these eyes and all these wings. They were the closest to the throne because they could see what he needed. They were there to serve the more that you know that you're his servant, the more you look like him. And he is so worthy to be served. And they will see his face. When that, who is they? That's us. Could just as well say we will see his face. And his name will be on our foreheads. We wear his name. Once we come to Christ and we wear that label Christian, a follower of Christ, we wear his name. That's why our behavior matters so much. Why our countenance matters so much. Because we represent his name. But here we're told that we will see his face. And I thought a little bit more about that. I just had to sit and ponder that. Do you know that when we see Jesus' face, we're going to see him like we've never seen him before. We're going to know him like we've never known him before because we're going to hear him like we've never heard him before. And the reason we're going to be able to see him so clearly, why we're going to see his face so clearly, is because our sin is gone. Our self, our ugly, 
human nature, sinful self is gone. There's no more worry. We carry no more burdens. All of the things that we thought we needed and couldn't live without, all those idols are gone. Now we see Jesus. We see him face to face and we wear his name on our foreheads. Again, it's not about us. It's going to be so evident. Just think, looking at everyone in there, and you will see the same name on everybody's face. So you won't see them as they are. You will see them because of what Jesus has made them. See how the focus is all about him and not about self anymore. And John repeats this because we just need to hear it. There will be no night there. No more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. We will reign with him When he walked this earth, he said that. He told us. I know it was so hard to fathom. But everything Jesus said and promised, John is witnessing. It's true. In our new home, it will be a place for us to work and to serve him. And we will reign with him forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. I think it's one of those times again where the preceding verses sounds so fantastic and beyond human words that we think, oh, it can't possibly mean all that. So the angel makes sure John says, these words are trustworthy, they're true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets. Sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. How wonderful that Jesus knew that even though we wouldn't be able to comprehend at all or even understand it all. He gave us enough for us to either hold on to with hope or wake up and do something about it before it's too late. In verse 7, we hear Jesus saying, Behold, kind of reminds me again of what the angels said when Jesus was born. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, and he's Christ the Lord. And that little baby in a manger 
is certainly no baby in a manger now. He is in his place and he is saying again, attention, behold, I am coming soon. I'm coming again. And I'm not coming again as a baby in a manger. I'm coming again. And we know from chapter 19, he's coming again with blazing eyes and with a robe tipped in blood because he is going to rid this world, purge it of every sin. So he says, behold, I'm coming soon. And we don't know what day that will be. But he's getting us ready. He wants us to make sure we checked our heart. We've checked our lives. Are we ready if he were to come within the next minute? Behold, I'm coming soon. I'm coming quickly. I'm, cut, I'm coming suddenly. And then he says, blessed. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. He says it again. I think about how this book is, is not preached, proclaimed, taught, whatever word. And I know it's because everybody's got differences of opinion, but there are plenty in this book. There are plenty of things in this book to either, like I said, wake us up or keeping us holding on. That's why we'll be so blessed. We can go through what we have to go through because we know what's ahead. That's why this book, I'm convinced that Revelation helps me. The more I understand what's going to happen to me in the future, the more I understand what Jesus had John write in this book for me, the more I understand how much he loves his children, how much he loves me and has prepared a place for me, that I'll be able to dwell with him, that I have my new home. He's saying, you'll be blessed the more you understand what's ahead. It's going to help you so much in how you deal with your life today. Could that be that's why he's a blessed? Is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book? Because you believe these words are trustworthy and true and he, he follows through with every prophecy he's ever made so then you can count on that it's going to happen. Tell you what, that's a blessing. That's, that's reassurance. That's confidence. That's hope. I, John... I'm the one who heard and saw these things. See, the last chapter of the book is like the first chapter of the book to reassure us that John, the apostle, on the island of Patmos, 
because he stood and proclaimed the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And then, I got to tell you, I give this man credit for admitting this because we saw last week how when he heard the hallelujah chorus magnified a million plus times, and the angel was telling him how Jesus was going to come back and it was just so overwhelming. Remember, and John fell at the feet of the angel and worshipped the messenger instead of the message. He made a big mistake. The angel corrected him right away. I'm sure he corrected it himself, but he, he reiterates. He says it again. And when I heard and seeing them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But the angel said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. Hey, you know what? Um, I am not on any pedestal just like you don't belong on any pedestal. We are to worship God. And John repeats this. Apparently, he thought that we needed to hear this again. That until then, until we get there, the temptation to almost like either put people on pedestals or maybe ourselves on a pedestal, thinking that maybe we're just a little bit better. That, that rotten human nature, that self-glorification always wants to sneak in. And John is saying in this chapter, until that day, you've got to be mindful that God is the only one that is worthy of worship. Then he told me, then the angel told John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Do not seal up the words of this prophecy. In other words, just because you've gone through it once, I think in the course of time, time that maybe, you know, we say we don't ever have enough of, but again, the more we get to know Jesus, the more we want to give him more time. Because we know it's the time we spend with him that makes the best influence and change in us. That we won't listen to the world's culture and the world's philosophy. That we will believe that this is my Bible and it is God's word and every word is true. Don't seal up this prophecy. Go through Revelation again. Keep seeing the hope. It was written for people who didn't have any more hope. In the literal sense, during the day when Revelation, it was for the poor Christians that were being persecuted and the, the Romans were just absolutely merciless. They needed something to hold on to. Well, we're in the same kind of day and age where we need something to hold on to. 
when our world has fallen apart. And he's saying, until then, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, whether it's the whole 66 books or whether it's this book of Revelation. Don't seal it up because the time is near and you want to keep your heart and your life ready. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Now, I'm sure that you probably looked at that and thought, yeah, I can understand the latter part. But what in the world does it mean when John says, let him, John's writing the words that he was told to write, let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who is wrong continue to be wrong. Why would he say that? Could it be that being that we are in the last book, the last chapter, could it be that Jesus is saying, John, tell him, hey, I have said all that I can say. I have done everything that needed to be done. I fulfilled everything my Father asked me to do for the salvation of mankind. God so loved this world that he gave Jesus. And the whosoever, he pretty much is saying, I have laid it out there. I've given them every chance, every opportunity. And if their choice is they are going to continue to do wrong and be wrong, well then so be it. By the time you get to this book and you get to the last chapter, you say, you know what, I have nothing more to say. Then Jesus says, behold, again, he says, behold, I am coming soon. He says it again, I'm coming soon. We, we know that it's quickly, it's suddenly, but I think when I heard it the second time here, I thought, there's an urgency in his voice here. Behold, I am coming soon. And then he, he takes a, a little different turn here, the way I look at it. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. See, now, by the time Jesus says this, remember, we're past Revelation 1 to 20. It is done. It's over. Satan is in hell. So is everybody else who didn't believe. So, I couldn't help but, I couldn't help but write in my Bible here, Yahoo! Prizes. His reward. And you know what? 
He says, my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. And you know, right away, our human mind goes to, oh, so-and-so is going to get more, and then why does this person get it, and I did And remember, we are all totally focusing on Jesus, and it is not about each and every one of us anymore. And so their self is gone. So you get that thought right out of your mind. There's not one time we're going to think that they didn't deserve or we deserve more. There's, you just stop it right now. But it is exciting to think he's saying, I'm going to reward Everyone according to what they've done. And everybody likes a prize. Everybody likes a reward. I think sometimes we do that with our children. We we show them that that because of their of their a good job, well done, we want to reward them. That starts when they're little, and I don't think that ever really leaves. And Jesus knows it. And then he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He repeats that. You've heard that before. Do you know, I found this verse in Isaiah 48, verse 18. God says, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. Remember at the beginning, I said that this whole river would peace like a river. I think that that could be one of the prizes that we all get that we will be a part of that peace. That new heaven and a new earth will be totally at peace. And the focus will be on the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Lord. Isaiah 41.4 says, I the Lord am the first and with the last I am he. This is a message he has tried to get across through the whole of Scripture. Blessed are those who wash their robes. And they have the right to eat. They have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Blessed, I don't, that's an understatement. Blessed are those who wash their robes. If you have had your robe washed in the blood of the Lamb, and you now wear that white robe of righteousness, you've got the proper clothing to be in the place you're in. He says, you have the right. 
Remember the man that in the parable where he didn't have the right clothes and Jesus kicked him out? He tried to get there on his own terms. Only those who have humbly come to the cross and wear that white robe of righteousness. We have the right now to eat from that tree of life and we may go through the gates into the city. And again, he just reminds us that outside, it's not that we'll hear people like in the days of Noah, you know, once the door was shut and they'll hear the pounding of people wanting to come in. We won't. We won't. But Jesus does want us to know that there is a division between inside and outside. And it all has to do with him. And because you wear the white robe of righteousness and you've been given the right to eat from the tree of life, to dwell with him forever and ever. But he says, I want you to know, until then, you still got time to know that a decision can be made Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexual immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So just in case you think, well, I'm not a murderer. Um, I don't practice magic arts. Um, I'm not sexually and immoral. I'll tell you, if you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you've got something else, Lord, get little L, of your life, and you're an idolater. And everyone who loves and practices falsehood, that means you thought you were capable, or you thought there were other ways to heaven, or you thought you could buy your way, or you thought you could do enough good deeds. That's falsehood. And I'm sorry, you're on the outside. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. See, even Jesus is saying, until then, go back to the letters to the churches and see if you fit in there at all. I know it's not easy to confront yourself. We all want to think that we're perfect. Well, get over it. We all want to think that we're walking just perfectly righteous before the Lord. Or that we've been a Christian for so long or that... No, he's saying, go back and take a look. See the testimony for the churches. It's so important until then, again, you make sure you see yourself for who you are and repent or overcome or do whatever is necessary that he says to do. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Those are just a couple of Armaziah's titles. Jesus has so many names. 
And they all, they all represent who he is and what he does. I love the morning star. You know, the morning star welcomes a new day. And there's just nothing better than welcoming a new day with Jesus. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Bride, which is us, the believer, his church. This is, to me, this is an invitation that he's saying, until then, you've got work to do. You're to go out there and you are to say, come, the Spirit will help you. Because if you're thinking, oh, I don't do that kind of stuff, well, you better. And I hope by now, after going through what we've gone through, you have a little more initiative. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will give us what we need. And people need an invitation. Come and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. There's still time. Accept the invitation. But he's saying to us, someone's got to give the invitation. Tell, tell people, that they have time to come to the cross. And then verse 18, I warn everyone who hears. Now, until then, he's saying, I want to warn you. I want to warn you about my book. I want to warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. That's why I try my best going through this not to add, but yet not to take away either. You know, it's so easy when we're reading God's Word or when we're reading the book of Revelation. Because what he's saying is, don't mess with my Word. Every word is true, and you don't need to add, and you don't take away. When we add, what does that mean? Well, we add what we wanted to say. And what do we mean when, what does he mean when he says, take away? Oh, we close our ears. Well, we don't want to hear. That's why the gospel is so black and white, and the terms are so easy to understand. He says, I don't want you to add to my terms and I don't want you to take away from my terms. 
don't mess with his book. He who testifies to these things, hear Jesus say, yes. In King James it says, surely, I am coming soon. Now again, remember, this is the last book in the last chapter, in the last couple of verses. And so you know he is going to say what needs to be said and he's saying, yes, surely, I am coming soon. And John answers back, says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. John's ready. John's prepared. John is surrendered. John's excited. So I can't help but ask you that. Are you saying it? Because Jesus is saying to you and me right now, surely, yes, I am coming soon. And what is your response to that fact? In the last verse of God's word is the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. How appropriate to have the word grace end it all. Because if it wasn't for grace, if it wasn't for amazing grace, how sweet that word sounds that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved. How precious is that grace that hour I first believed. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Oh, it's grace that taught my heart to fear. It's grace that made me believe. It's undeserved favor, but because of Jesus Grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. So be it. Amen. Father, there are just no more words. So in all humility, we worship and praise you and thank you for your grace. May everything that we do and say, may we desire to live for you because of what you have done for us. Lord, until that day, may we be, may we be, may we be working for you. May we dare say, come. Lord 
Jesus. We are ready. And we want to see your face. And it's your name we pray. Amen.